Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. With us here is Jed Brewer. Greetings! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Hello, that's me. We are once again Glenless. Repeat, podcast is Glenless. <laughs> but we are going to to push on. We are going to answer some of your uh, excellent questions that you've written in here. I'll give some ways you can write in if you have a question for us. But first... I must declare a metaverse emergency. A meta-emergency? A meta-emergency indeed. Now, that's not an emergency about being an underperforming baseball team from Queens. That's not an emergency that for the 10th year in a row, none of us got invited to the Met Gala. But both of those things are emergencies in their own way. But we're referring to a little company you may have known as Facebook. Aha, I've heard of them. Yes, you know, the reason some of you don't talk to your uncle anymore. <laughs> Maybe where some of you bought uh, a half-broken dinette set or whatever people actually buy on the Facebook marketplace. You know, th- this is, it's, I've referred to many, many times people to Facebook as the Walmart of the internet. Oh, that's Nobody likes true. it, yep. but we're all in there from time to time and we never feel good about it. But so Facebook exists. It's it's there. We're all on it. You know, we have our it's very convenient for us to put our Bridgecast service on the Facebook, for example. It has some advantages. But uh in the time since last we spoke to you, Facebook has rebranded. Oh. Facebook has become meta. Ooh. Now you may wonder, what does that mean? Well, as I understand it, it mainly means all the antitrust suits that are aimed at Facebook Inc. have to be rewritten so that they can be aimed at Meta Inc. And that's something that buys you some time. But the other thing, and where the thing this becomes interesting for us, we can, you know, maybe get on the ground floor of something here, is uh, they want to apparently push into what they call the metaverse. Oh, fancy. Which if you ever, from the videos they put up, if you ever um, played The Sims or Wii Bowling, it's basically those kind of avatars, but you have an Oculus a Rift headset on, and you're in kind of like a 3D environment where you can go to a board meeting, which is the actual thing they do in the promo video for how exciting this will be, is go to a meeting where even though you're still in your house, it feels like you're in a room with these other people at work. You know, I'm not a, a tech expert, but that kind of feels like we've, we've made all the worst of everything and combined it together. Yeah. Yep. There's this whole book series out about, you know, uh, where you can put on the the VR headset and have the gloves and and be in the the you know the you know the kind of cradle or whatever, and you can experience things like flying in a DeLorean or being Spider Man or something like that. And Meta kicks off this idea with going to a board meeting. <laughs> but you turn, and it's like that person you want try to avoid when you're at real work is just there in three full dimensions. Can you be Spider-Man in the board meeting? Well, I'm sure if you pay for the uh, Marvel Presents Spider-Man skins on Meta, you can. Because <laughs> we all know that's where this is going. But uh, as we get there, you know, it's the idea uh, we... We, we're, I'm looking at a Verge article here where somebody describes it as the Internet embodied, which sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But you, you can kind of track the thinking of uh, 
There's also a great, uh, you can track the evolution. There's a great detail on this article. This is the one we're reading was written in uh, July, I think, before they announced all this. But in parentheticals, and one of these is, uh, after I watched his speech, Zuckerberg and I had a conversation, parentheses, the metaverse being unavailable at press time, we used Zoom. (laughs) So, you know, everybody's working from home and doing stuff and there's Zoom meetings. And then they thought, how do we make that somehow? How do we remove all the good parts of that that you can kind of, you know, be doing other things and not have the camera on and not really have to engage that much until it's your turn to talk? So we'll do that, but we'll make it like a weird 3D video game. Uh, but also another thing that happened, gentlemen, during the the pandemic era was a lot of people did church online. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about not the metaverse, but the meta church. Oh yeah, Ooh. the church, the meta church, and now the meta church. Dude, in meta church, in VR church, we could have fog machines that never end. Wow. Oh, you, the like, audience, could like in a Twitch style way pay. Uh, bits for more or less fog that's right like our laser light show would we you could be in the laser light show you could be in the laser man like the power guitar stance you could just like you could just keep feeding like uh you know uh like pixelated coins into this guitar player and he would just keep doing the bill and ted's that's right. Our guitar stance. That's during right. The whole service. Yes. Yes. Instead of, you know, watching the worship leader with the, the overly tight t-shirt, I think through the miracle of VR, you could be the overly tight t-shirt. Oh, wow. You could embody that. It's like you can, you can actually feel your circulation being cut off. Exactly. You could That's change fantastic. the interesting tattoo on the forearm of your VR a worship leader avatar every single wow. week. <laughs> and there's like a drop down menu of like popular coffee cup Bible verses. Yes. That you could emblazon on the forearm of your VR worship leader. Yes. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, and then there's also obviously, cause you know, I think from what I've read about the metaverse and the way, you know, it's kind of piggybacking off video game stuff. Uh, as I understand, it's called in video games skins. Like, you know, you can pay yeah, extra yes. to like, you know, you can be Iron Man or, and whatever. I have a feeling that's a big part of the, the meta's eventual monetization strategy. So I think we have to make that part of meta church. You know, you think, oh, well, you know, no one wants to put on an itchy, you know, pair of slacks to go to church, but your virtual avatar can be, you know, dressed as Thor or something. Or Augustine. Yeah, there you go. Ooh. Yeah, I really like the idea of pastor goes up to give his message and he has to preach it to C.S. Lewis, who's just <laughs> disapproving the entire time. Press X With, to just scowl. Like, <laughs> endless imperial pints. Yes. And he's just <laughs> just like, look, I look, I really splurged on the polycarp skin this month. And I think it's going to up the impact and the gravitas oh, that was of well my done. sermon. That was well done. Well, that also brings up the option of not only meta-churching at your own church, but going into the churches of pastors you don't like and just like, you know, getting your John Calvin skin on and sitting in the front row and just like spamming like, that's not what I meant by that. <laughs> you know nothing of my work, sir. <laughs> that, that's endlessly fun. Well, I think as we've we've mused before in some other areas, but this is really where it can come to uh, 
come to a head. I think we can charge pastors a lot for their own C.S. Lewis skin. Yeah, we can. I think monetarily we need to get ahead of this, and we need to start developing some popular Christian skins, including, for all the superfans out there, the the Say That Super Baby skin. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A sight wonderful and mighty to behold. Well, I, th- I, I think yeah. that is we need and to terrifying. Get, absolutely, we need to get out in front of this because it's going to be used for evil. And by evil, I mean there are definitely some pastors out there who cannot be trusted with the idea of 3D immersive sermon illustrations. Yeah, you can't be like you know I was I was taking some time fishing this week. Why don't we all come on the boat? Let's all go yeah, together. Yeah, there it is. There really it is. Feel <laughs> what happens goes to your body when you do that cast. Like that's that's gonna be bad. I think that if if we were to get ahead of this monetarily as well, we could we could really get a lot a a, a lot of of good out of making kind of like a like a whole Lord of the Rings set because we know that the pastors love to use you know, the references to the Lord of the Rings. So if we could make a deal with Peter Jackson and the Tolkien estate, and we could get kind of, we could go ahead and kind of corner the market on like, you know, a Gandalf or or an Aragorn or a Sam Gamgee skin, we're really going to be raking in the dough from some of these meta-church pastors. I like that a lot. You're absolutely middleman some of these popular intellectual properties. Well, I think there's also a way to, you know, to, to get that sweet, sweet cash going of creating similar but legally distinct skins. Oh, right? so, yes. You know, I mean, like, yeah. we definitely, you know, we, we, we can't do Harry Potter, uh, you know, both because he's owned by the very litigious estate of um, an author who shall remain nameless, uh, but also, you know, what with the, the Satanism and, and the witchcraft and whatnot. But what we can do, which which I think is great, is and we gotta find just just the right nomenclature here, but we can find the uh vacation Bible school Christian bookstore, um, slightly different ripoff version of Harry Potter and make that skin available. And as long as we're first yeah. to market, we could clean up on that, dude. Oh yeah, I like that a lot. Well, I think the vacation Bible pack, vacation Bible school pack, where you know you get your kind yeah. of knockoff Harry Potter houses. Yep, yep. Faith indoor. You know, it doesn't really mean anything, but each each one corresponds to one of the gospels for some reason, just because there's four of them. We didn't really think it out. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. A digital sorting hat that te- that looks deep in your soul and tells you you're a mark because you look like you don't want to read a longer one. <laughs> well, what what's amazing to me though is when you're peering down through this article uh, that that you referenced, Matt, is you know there undoubtedly guys are going to be sitting around in boardrooms thinking of all the kind of ludicrous stuff that we've just been pondering, all the different ways you can make money off of people immediately, and. You know, some reporter had the wherewithal to ask Zuckerberg, well, what are you going to do about on the, you know, on Meta about the fact that there's been a lot of articles on your site that discourage people from getting the vaccine and wearing masks? And he literally (laughs) just said, look, it's kind of like fighting crime in a city. 
no one expects that you're ever going to fully solve crime in a city. <laughs> that you're is... just like, dude, everybody's spending their time thinking about how to sell the Spider-Man and Harry Potter skin to you. Nobody's actually thinking about the thing that they could actually do to make the world a better place. Yeah, that's that's one heck of a non-answer. Mm-hmm. As wow. ever, there's nothing any of us could have done. Certainly not me, <laughs> the guy who owns Facebook. <laughs> I look forward to the first, and we need to take bets on who it be, because there's going to be a mega church that is like the first official meta worship partner. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Somebody in Northern California, and it is going to be a laser light show, the likes of which you have never seen outside of your local planetarium. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Slash exactly like a music video, you know, uh by Peter Gabriel from the mid to late eighties. Yes. Uh present company very much excluded. Um we uh the Triple C did a great job with it. We saw a lot of people who kind of did their version of an online thing uh during the pandemic. And here's a question that did not seem to get asked. What if we did less bells and whistles? <laughs> a lot of, a uh, lot of, you know, video transitions, a lot of uh, on-screen graphics, a lot of people really, really throwing the whole Windows Movie Maker experience at their, their church broadcast. <laughs> I don't know that we need that in a third dimension, but it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And so is like the the third dimension of the meta church does this include someone like like when you when you go to see like Jurassic World 2 3D or something instead of a velociraptor coming at you it's like the Eucharist like being thrown <laughs> oh. at, you, at you I like the Eucharist. that like when the Millennium Falcon makes the jump to hyperdrive just wafers <laughs> flying past your head Lee, the Eucharist finds a way. <laughs> and on that note, because we are not going to beat that yes. joke, we will declare emergency off. Now you might ask, good old, Matt, good old Jed, good old Jed Goldblum. <laughs> I was wrong. We did beat it. That was worth going back for. <laughs> now you may ask yourself, uh, Matt, did you do that entire emergency based on a Facebook property? just so you could for once hit an actual segue out of the emergency segment and into the Facebook plug? Maybe. The big <laughs> thing is that you can find the Bridgecast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. For now, it remains only in two dimensions. But we'll see how that goes. And if you can't catch it live with us, you can catch every single episode archived at the videos tab on that same Facebook page, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We also bring you bridge box the first of every month. If you want to sign up at missionusa.com slash bridge box, it has no meta elements at all. There's not even subtext wow. to bridge box. It exists only mm. on one plane of understanding. And uh, I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself. All right. We're going to move on to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. Our first question comes in and says, 
With the holidays coming up, I'm thinking about boundaries. How do I balance out having strong boundaries with giving people a chance to do things right? It feels like drawing too hard of a line with some people who haven't really misbehaved too much is not giving things a decent chance. And a, a great question, and it is definitely the right time of the year to start thinking about how you're going to yeah. uh, deal with uh, massive misbehavior. So, Lee, where do we start off with this? This is a really great question. It's a really important question, and we should do some – we should kind of go back and and cover some bases here, especially because – there's kind of a principle in in the medium that we're working in, which is um, I'm stealing from another show that I like to listen to. Everybody's podcast, every every podcast is possibly somebody's first episode of the podcast. So let's talk about boundaries for a second. Every healthy adult relationship has boundaries, um, and a boundary is something that you set with someone where you are not trying to change their behavior but you are telling them what you will or won't do. When you set a boundary, you are not saying, I want to change you in these ways. You are saying, this is what I will or won't do in this situation. So specifically with the holidays, when we, when we have to set a boundary with somebody, we are trying to say, um, this is what I will or won't do in this situation. In a, when you set a boundary around the holidays, you're giving somebody the chance to be cool or not. And their response to the way that you set that boundary is a really good indicator of where they stand with you. So what we want to do is we want to give people kind of a chance for success. So if you've grown up with someone, I'll use an example from my life. I like when I was growing up, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, we spent the that those particular holidays at the at the house of a relative who was highly uncool to basically everybody in the family. It was his house. Everybody congregated at his house, and he was one of these people that just thought the 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 most fun I can have is to pick on people about whatever I think is funny about them. Um, that's not fun for basically anybody else but him. And, and, but that was the way that, that he had a blast. And so it, it's, you know, really crappy for everybody else. Well, with a situation like that, what, you know, I got to a place where I realized I do not want to be around this person. I do not want to spend Thanksgiving or Christmas there. Um, if we are going to have a relationship at all, I'm not going to spend all of my Thanksgiving with you. I will, uh, maybe hang out with you in a situation where we will, like meet for a dinner or something like that. And we can basically try to have kind of 45 minutes to an hour together. That will give you a chance to see if you'll be cool. And if you won't, then it will show me, I definitely, definitely don't want to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with you. In other words, you're giving somebody the chance to spend a very small amount of time and spend that time well. If they respond well to that, great. If they push back on that, then basically what you have to do is set a harder boundary. The The tricky thing with boundaries is that people either respect them or they don't. Sometimes with what you'll find is you'll set a boundary with, with somebody in a relationship where they've treated you poorly or they haven't respected you or they are manipulative in some way or whatever the situation may be. And so you set a boundary of, I need some space or, um, 
uh, I, I need some time to figure this relationship out, or I will hang out with you in this way, or we'll have a phone call and that's about it, or whatever the thing is. And if they push back against that real hard, if they would be cool with it, then you can just have the situation that you've set out. If they won't be cool about it and they push back on it, what that means is, is that you have to then set a more firm boundary. You have to then set a harder boundary and say, no, I will not do the thing that you're asking. Because if you give in on that, then they will creep further and further into your life. Again, the whole thing with boundaries is you're setting up a situation in which the relationships can actually work. And that's the key to understanding this whole thing. How can we set up an environment in which the relationship can actually work? If you can't be cool with that, then we may not be able to have the relationship in any way. But with the holidays in particular, look, I may not spend all of Thanksgiving or Christmas with you, but as I come into town or as we meet up, let's have some coffee around Thanksgiving or around Christmas, or let's have a dessert somewhere and we'll spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. And we'll see how you can handle that. If you push against that and you're trying to creep in further, then I know that you're not ready to handle this situation. Again, it's all about what you will do. You're not actually trying to make a difference in who this person is or change super old behavioral, you know, messed up patterns that they have. You're determining what you will or won't do, and you're trying to create a system of success for what this relationship could be. If they'll respect it, great. If they won't, you're going to have to set a harder boundary, and you may not be able to hang out at all. So those are some broad strokes about how these how boundaries work in relationships. And it's a, again, super, super important question at the holidays, but that's, you know, Jack can go into some, some finer details, but that's kind of a broad understanding of what we're looking at with boundaries. An excellent place to start out and very, very worth going to that uh, broad explanation, I think, to get us all on the same page. And Jed, what specifics would you paint in there to kind of fill out the the holiday specific, the event specific things that Lee's given us there. Well, the first specific, I well, the most important specific is Lee is right on, did a great job. I agree with everything you just said, so that's awesome stuff. To build on that, for a question asker, I think it's great that you are asking this question and that you are looking at it now. I think one of the things that you're going to find is. The best chance for having good interactions with your friends, your families, your loved ones is to be intentional in the way that you plan these gatherings and the way that you plan these interactions. I think that just eh, it'll it'll, it'll probably be fine. That is the path to interactions you will not feel good about. So intentionality is the name of the game. And I want to be clear on that. You're not going to do that perfectly because there's no such thing as that. Overall, you will get better over time, but I really want to emphasize imperfect, intentional interactions are better than just letting it be whatever it is. Like leaning into the fact that you won't do a perfect job, but you're going to be intentional about it anyway, that is still much better than just letting it be whatever. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for them. The next thing that I would add, which this is going to sound a little silly, but I think it's going to help to take the sting out of it because it... You know, you ask, isn't basically, am I, am I kind of just not giving things a decent chance? They haven't really misbehaved. Let's look at it through a lens that doesn't involve judging people for a second. Um, and, and here's the lens is everybody has environments that they are more or less comfortable in, right? 
So if we said, you're going to see grandma, but you're going to do it 50 feet under the ocean in a shark cage, because that's the only way grandma will do it. You would not be at your best in that environment. You wouldn't be comfortable Mm. in that environment. You wouldn't like that environment. You might still be willing to do it, but it, it wouldn't be the optimal situation for you. Whereas seeing grandma in her living room would probably be dramatically more comfortable for you and dramatically easier for you. The point of the very, very silly metaphor is that Unless, of course, grandma's living room is in the underground shark layer because that's how you find out your grandma's a Bond villain. <laughs> so the, the, the point of the very, very silly example is that everybody has settings they are more or less comfortable in, settings that will more or less give them the advantage to be the best version of themselves. It's actually a loving thing to try and figure out for your various friends, family, and loved ones, what are the environments that let them be at their best. How do I set things up where they have the best chance to be the best version of themselves? Uh, That's a loving thing. That's a good thing. And if you can dig it, a lot of people don't know how to do that for themselves. I, I know a lot of people who can be very, very cool, but actually do not know the environments that lead to the best version of themselves coming out. And so you beginning to become a student of that is a good thing. Another thing on the specifics that goes right along with it is the principle of leave them wanting more. What is true for concerts and vacations is also true for hangouts. The right length is where, you know what? It would have been great if we could have talked for just a few more minutes. That's the exact moment to be done. To say it was great and I could have gone for a little bit more. Well, we'll just have to do it again next year. Letting anything extend to the point of, well, that was really a bit much. That's that's not what we want to do. leave them wanting more. Trust me, this is the right way to go. So again, to go right along with what Lee is saying, this is about asking for each person, how long and in what context am I confident that they can present the best version of themselves? Mm-hmm. Is that in a group? Is that alone? Is that in, you know, at grandma's house? Is that at a diner? Is that at a Starbucks? And then can they do that for 20 minutes? Can they do that for two hours? How much good behavior do they have in them? Once you have thought through kind of how long they've got, the context they need, offer them that. If they really succeed at that, if they just knock that out of the park, well, offer them a little more at the next gathering. You know, maybe you gave them 45 minutes this time. Maybe you give them 50 minutes next time. Huzzah. They've moved their way up. If they can't have, handle 45 minutes, maybe we try 30 minutes next time. And we keep walking it back until we get a place that we can all live with. The bottom line is, again, we're not trying to control other people's behavior, but we're being clear on what we're open to. And we're also trying to give people a fighting chance to be the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that, that is true and needs to be acknowledged is it's not to let anybody off the hook. When people misbehave, it's, it's on them. But it is worth noting that there are so many contributing factors to people's misbehavior. There are so many things that are helping them to make the worst version of themselves that if you can find a way to give them a leg up on being who they really are in a good way, I mean, that's such a great act of love, and it's really good for the the both of you. And if you can find a way to position things where it increases the chances of a good interaction, that's a wonderful thing. And we're wishing you all the best this holiday season. Absolutely right. That's, that's both great stuff from both these guys. I would add on to um, where Jed took us there. That as he's pointing out of, you know, you maybe you give them, leave them a little bit wanting more. I think 
with family stuff and particularly with holiday stuff, there's this expectation sometimes we put on ourselves of, I owe this situation the most I can give it. You know, if <laughs> no, I you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't have to do that every holiday. If it's, you know, we can't get around to seeing them this, seeing so and so this year, and if they take that well, then we'll put them as a better priority next year. If they're weird about it, we'll slide them down. If it's, you know, we can only stop by, you know, Aunt Janice's for for coffee on Thanksgiving Day because we're on our way and we can't do a meal. But you don't have to give it a hundred percent of the possible effort every round every year. This is this is a long, ongoing process. Setting boundaries can be difficult. Um, setting boundaries can take a little bit of dialing in. There's also one other thing I want to make sure we're specifying here. So there's like within the group of the family, there's can be different levels of boundaries and it can be, you know, I, you know, uncle so-and-so was always not very cool, but they have Thanksgiving at this, they go to Thanksgiving at, you know, cousin so-and-so's house and they've never been really that bad to me. So is it like fair to skip out on the whole thing? Cause they invited me da 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 which that that's situational. That's up to, that's up to you. And again, there's play, ways you can kind of play those relationships that these guys talked about very well. Then there's another thing, which is, well, these people have never done anything but misbehave. But in the last year, because I haven't really given them the space to misbehave, they haven't actively done anything terrible. So wouldn't Thanksgiving be the perfect time to try to spend six uninterrupted hours together? And to that, I would say, no, probably not. It's possible. Probably not. There's this idea that in order for you to keep boundaries, the person has to keep doing active harm or trying to buck up against the boundaries. Sometimes things are peaceful because there has been a boundary set that has limited the ability for someone to misbehave. That Hello. does not mean you are duty bound to push further until they do misbehave. If you decide you want to try to go for more, that that's totally up to you. And there's smart ways to do that. But just because someone's not actively being a jerk right now does not mean you have to give them more, more uh, rope come the holiday season. And that's an important, important thing to remember. Jed, one more thing on this. Dude, just vibing what you're saying and to, to build on all this. And in terms of kind of trying to, to stack the deck for a, a positive conversation, I think with each person that you're going to encounter, I think it's a good idea to think through what are topics of conversation that I think they won't screw up and how do I yeah, keep yeah. us on those topics of conversation? So rather than God, I hope they don't bring up politics. Come if you're planning to be there for 45 minutes, come up with 45 minutes worth of talking points that we can just th- I mean, literally, this is exactly what I would do and just yep. cycle through those. Don't give them the chance to get onto things that, you know, will be a bomb. Yep. And as ever. Don't be afraid to walk away if that's what happens. And if you're yep. of the age where you can and you have the ability to, uh, I said this before on the show, I will continue to uh, to ring this bell. I cannot recommend driving yourself to every yep. family yeah. holiday gathering enough. You're, 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 you might, your parents or whatever might say, oh, well, no, there's plenty of room. We'll all drive together. You say, uh, no. An escape valve is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. All right, move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, people say that God wants me to let go of guilt and shame. That sounds great, but I don't know how to do it. Shame is very ingrained in how I think about myself. How do I just 
let go of that? And I I think this is such a great question and really yeah. pokes at one of the we we get a lot of questions that we love where kind of the Christianese people really dig under that. And this is some of that. I think there's some of this even in like therapy language. And you you hear a lot of very well-meaning people say, you just gotta, you just gotta drop all that shame and guilt. And we've probably said that on the show here and kind of skipped over that. But it's a very, very good point that uh people don't often just choose to feel shame. It it creeps up. It's <laughs> really a way people are taught to think about themselves and their place in the world. And so Lee, when we look at starting to try to uncouple that from where we are, what does that process actually look like? It's a really, really cool question. I want to, I want to refer back to a phrase that Jed said in his last response, he talked about how people misbehave because of a variety of contributing factors. Um, I, I really like that phrase. I, I want to use it as I, as we kind of start to pull this thing apart and look at it some um we feel shame because of a variety of contributing factors it it doesn't help for someone like if you just feel something that's really complex because of a lot of different things that are happening inside your brain inside your heart inside your mind it doesn't help for somebody to say just stop it that that's not something that we can do. I, I can't just flip a light switch and just stop it. Like, I feel ashamed of myself. Well, stop it. It's like, well, thanks a lot. That, th- there's, there are a whole lot of reasons that I'm feeling that. So what we need to do is we need to look at what are some of those reasons and how can I combat some of the, some of the things that, are, you know, that, that I'm experiencing from a, you know, a sensory standpoint you know, so that I can react differently. The way that I like to think about this is like, you know, when you um, when you get into a car to drive it that somebody else has been driving and they're just a different size person from you, you're not going to feel comfortable driving that car until you like adjust the seat and adjust the mirrors and adjust the maybe the height of the steering wheel based on, you know, where the dashboard is and the, you know, the speedometer and all that kind of stuff. You're going to feel most comfortable taking off once you've set all of that stuff to where it fits you. Um, if you just hop into somebody else's car and they're a totally different size person than you and you just take off, well, all the mirrors are going to be in the wrong place and you might not be able to see the speedometer and you might feel just where the seat is based on the pedals and the, and the steering wheel. And the whole thing just might feel wonky. But most of us kind of go into our day without adjusting anything without thinking intentionally about some of the things that we're going to be facing. So let me just kind of think about a couple of the adjustments that you might want to think before you go into work or before you log into Facebook or before you, um, you know, launch Instagram or something like that. Because I think that a couple of the contributing factors that we can just point out just right off the top for things that make people feel ashamed are other people's descriptions of their life. Yep. That's a huge one is other people's descriptions of their life. And then, um, your expectations of what your day was going to be. That's another huge one. Um, the way that other people talk about who you are, that's another huge one. So these are all adjustments that we need to make on the, kind of the metaphorical like seat that we're sitting in in the car before we take off in our day. 
So here's a couple things to keep in mind. Before you launch Instagram or Facebook or Meta or whatever the app is called, I don't really know. But when you launch any of these things, you need to know this right off the bat. Everyone is fronting about their life. Pretty much everybody, all the time, is lying about their life. Yep. You need to know that right now. You need to know that you don't need to take everybody's word for it about how perfect their life is or how amazing, you know, their kid is or how wonderful that, you know, uh, dance competition was or how exciting this, you know, tournament has been. Whatever the thing is that people are sharing about themselves, there's a way to celebrate that and to to hit the like button and to tell somebody congratulations on their anniversary or whatever the thing is or on their birthday or whatever without completely internalizing the idea that what they're saying is the truth which is my life is so much better than yours and i think that we feel a lot of shame off of that stuff of like well i'm having a really difficult time in my life and their life is going really easily And what we have to do is adjust the seat on that and realize, as I start my day, I need to remind myself that most of the people that are sharing about their lives are completely fronting all the time. Um, Another adjustment that I need to make in the beginning of my day before I, and, and, and many times throughout the day, is the difficult things that I'm feeling, I'm not the only person experiencing those. That sentence goes something like this, I'm not a freak. Other people are having a hard time as well. It doesn't make me a loser or a failure if I'm having a hard time coping with the things that I'm going through. These are extremely important things. A lot, most people are fronting about their lives, and I'm not a freak for having a hard time with the things that I'm having a hard time in. Then we have all kinds of things about our faith. When I look at things that I feel bad about about myself, I need to make sure that I'm letting the Lord define who I am rather than other people define who I am. I don't want to let some coach or my parent who's disappointed in me or some friend who's talking down at me, some, you know, quote unquote friend. I don't want to let somebody else determine my identity. I want to let the Lord tell me that I'm forgiven and that I'm clean and that I'm new and that I'm his beloved child. All of these kinds of things are adjustments kind of calibrations that we need to set as we go through our as we start our day and as we go throughout our day to remind ourselves I'm I'm not a freak for having a hard time with this thing. I am forgiven and clean. I am a beloved child of God. People are <laughs> people are fronting about the amazingness of every amazing moment of their life. None of that stuff is what it looks like. And I don't have to feel bad about myself for living a real, honest, true life. Again, there are a number of contributing factors that 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 kind of add up to make us feel ashamed of who we are. And we need to intentionally get ahead of those things by one, understanding the things that make us feel shame, and two, speaking into those things, true things, true calibrations that set a different course for us to walk through our day with. An excellent, excellent place to start th- that off. And Jed, I, I see in your notes here that uh, you, you, this specifically says you are the only one and you are a freak. So this is going to be a yes. bit of an awkward transition, but uh, let, we'll steer away from those points. But sure. I'd love to get you to pick us up here on how we might start working through these great things that Lee has given us. There's 
some stuff we have in our processing that we need to get rid of or replace, but that's going to be a process. So where do we start with that? Great question. I think that we need to start with a little bit of expectation management. Um, And so the first thing is, this is great stuff for you to talk to a therapist about. I am not one. I'm super duper not one. I'm not even close to being one, Uh, but it'd be a great thing for you to talk to a therapist about. But one of the things that I think you're likely to get from any good qualified actual therapist is, first, you can learn to engage with your thoughts differently. You super can. You don't have to keep thinking the way that you have thought. You can, you can learn to think about yourself and your situation differently. That's not going to happen overnight, but you can do that. You can work on that. You can learn and train yourself to think differently. And for a lot of people in a lot of situations, as you learn to think differently, you are probably going to feel things differently too, which is a, a, a nice little bonus. But a lot of what, again, I think, and this goes right along with everything that Lee's saying, a lot of what you're looking at is going to be starting to interrupt the processes in your brain that for a long time have been automatic and to make them a bit more intentional. So let's look at an example of that. Sometimes things go wrong in your world. Something happens that like, it looks like you have failed. So you took a test and you got a bad grade, for example, you know, that you wanted a certain outcome and you did not get it. But now d- based on your question, I'm guessing that your brain project goes straight to shame. Like I am the worst. Um, but it turns out actually that is shortcutting a process of evaluation that we can learn to take a much more intentional look at. Like in the case of the bad grade, one of the questions that we want to ask is, is this a personal failing or a structural failing? And do I know the difference between those two things? So so let me give an example A, a personal failing would say, I am a lazy person who is also stupid. And I chose because of my laziness and stupidity, not to study enough. And on the basis of my decision as a lazy and stupid person, I got a bad grade. That would be kind of a, a shame based thing where you personally are at fault here. A more structural look at this would be I'm working two jobs and I'm caring for my grandmother and I have very limited windows of time available to prep for tests. And the grade I got is reflective of those outstanding realities. Now, here's what's interesting is neither explanation changes the fact that you got a bad grade and that's a super bummer because you wanted a good grade and you didn't get a good grade. But we do have a question both of how we explain this to ourselves And therefore, kind of how we feel about what has happened, because there's going to be the bummer that we wanted a good grade and we didn't get the grade that we wanted. But whether we feel badly about ourselves actually is pretty highly optional, but it's going to boil down to how we're choosing to interpret this information. If if this is a personal failing, if I am stupid and lazy, which is quite the combo, then what hope would there ever be for things to change? That's probably just the way that I am. And so it'll just be a lazy, stupid life or lazy, stupid me forever. If we're saying that at least part of what's happened here is a structural thing where, dude, I'm being asked to do more than any human being can do. I'm doing about as good as I got. I, I know it's not perfect, but you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm giving it what I've got. Then we can have some confidence of a, this is very understandable. No one would be in an appropriate position to judge the outcome here. And B, 
you're probably not going to be working two jobs and caring for your grandmother forever. We can expect a time in your life where, you know, things are a little bit more chill and you've got more time to devote to whatever you want to devote time to. But again, the thing about shame is we've kind of, we've shortcut that whole process. We've just jumped from a stimulus, a bad thing that I don't like happened to a conclusion of I suck. That's, that's kind of what we've got going on with shame. The good news and the hope for you and for all of us is we don't have to make that jump. We can learn to think differently. We can inject intentionality into our thought process and actually say, how much of this is about me as an intrinsic human being? How much of this is about the situations of my life where maybe, and maybe it's not zero or a hundred and vice versa. Maybe it's a blend. But if that lowers the pressure where I don't have to land on, I'm the worst, therefore feel bad, maybe that gives me the freedom to choose a different way that I feel about myself. We are Mm -hmm. confident that you can get to that point. That is all really fantastic stuff there. And as far as that um, kind of recontextualizing that, that Jed's talking about, you can do that even without if the circumstantial factors, you know, we work, yeah. all three of us on the show uh, work with people work and have worked with people who are, have a history of addiction. And the interesting thing about that is the people who are the furthest along in their recovery, at least in my fairly limited experience is you can tell in the way they talk about it because they don't dramatize how bad anything they did in their addiction was. It's just what they did. There's uh, sometimes folks who are maybe that's their first time to recover or something, and there's a lot of man you wouldn't believe, and it was and I was I was the the worst of them out there. And the people who are really comfortable with where they are now, if they're talking about that for some reason, it'll just be a thing they did. Yep, it was the best idea they had at the time. It made sense to them at the time. They wouldn't do it now, but they did it. And to me, that's what a lot of not judging yourself looks like. Not that you're saying the thing you did was great. You don't have to justify it. But uh, most things in life don't really fall into this was a really virtuous thing or this was a really awful thing. Most things in hindsight are just kind of a thing you did. Maybe you'd want to do more of that. Maybe you wouldn't. That's a different thing. But the the shame response, that guilt response, that emotion over time and over some reps really can be pulled apart from just thinking about episodes and actions, but you do have to get in those reps of you think about the thing or mention something that makes you think about yourself in a certain way and really just stopping down and kind of advocating for yourself, kind of saying like, okay, that's what happened. Is there a reason it happened? Was that something I was trying to figure out at the time? And there was a reason to think that, doing that or behaving that way was going to get me the thing I wanted, even though I know now it wasn't going to. And I think you're going to find through most things that, yeah, we've, we've said on the show before it's, it's a line from Jed that most people are just doing their best idea at any given time. You're not trying to do something wrong. If you knew it wouldn't work, you wouldn't do it, but that is a great place to land. And you can start just whenever you feel that little burn, just, Make the case for yourself as opposed to making the case against yourself. Make the case for yourself. Give that a shot. Mm. One more thing, just just to tack on that. If you've grown up in a religious environment, I think one of the things that may have been put on you is the idea of, well, look, I can't change this bad thing that happened, but I can at least feel bad about myself 
as a way of addressing right. the situation. That's my part in it. <laughs> that's exactly right. That that's like my contribution to this is my my beating up on myself and feeling bad about that. God is not interested in that. That doesn't honor God in any way. That doesn't improve the situation in any way. God's not looking for that. The Bible is not advocating for that. And if you we can't change the past in terms of what kind of religious stuff you've been around before, but if you're a part of a faith community today that is in some way indicating to you that you beating up on yourself somehow makes things better. We want to find you a new faith community. That's not something that God's looking for from you. And that's not something that we want for you. That is a hundred percent right. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, there are lots of places in the Psalms where David is openly rooting for his enemies downfalls. And it seems like he has really good reasons, but how does that fit in with Jesus talking about loving your enemies? And a, another cool question, another uh, really interesting uh, peeling the layers back Bible question. Lee, where would we start off with this? Yeah, I love this question. I, I think the the place that I would start is that, to me, the thing that's so cool about the Bible is um, the honesty of it, that that it's, it's really when you read the Psalms, especially the, the ones you're referring to, I think that they, if, if the guys that were running the the church that I grew up in were in any way in charge of the canon, it would not, these songs would not have been included in the canon. And that's the really, really interesting thing to me is that enshrined right here in God's word are um, songs written by a guy who's really, really pissed about his enemies. <laughs> and he's really, really, really wants them to die horrible deaths. Um, I listened to, uh, I, I listened to an interview by, a, a a writer called Anne Lamott and she's just, uh, she's a person who believes in the Lord, who's had a lot of struggles, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of problems and just is just refreshingly honest about all of it. And she was talking about how, how far away from the Lord she was feeling. And then this one day she just prayed about, a a girl, a, a lady in her life that she hated. <laughs> And she said, God, I hate her, and I pray that she would die by being eaten by rats. And <laughs> she said, she said immediately she felt a, a connection with the Lord and that he was saying, finally, you've said an honest thing. I've been waiting for like three weeks for you to say anything to me that's honest. You know, and I love about the Bible that there is both the real and the ideal. And I think that's one of the things that we want to look at with this, with your question, is we want to look at the difference between the real and the ideal, and 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 look at the fact that that number one, God is completely comfortable with you being real with Him, exactly where you are today, whatever relationship you're in, and however you feel about anybody in your life, God is not grossed out by that. He is not distanced from you with any of that. He is not like, I'll, I'll come back when you have cooled off. He, he is not like that in any way. He can handle the real of whatever you're feeling about anybody in your life. And by the way, I like that you point out that when, when David's talking about um, his desire that his enemies, you know, uh, you know, have, have this horrible end, that he's got some good reasons for it. And you're exactly right. He has some really good reasons for it. And by the way, we need to look at the fact that, that God in, 
also enshrined in the scriptures is God's desire that people who have been treated poorly get justice. That is a huge, huge theme in the scriptures, that people who have been oppressed and people who have been treated badly, that God wants justice for them, that justice for the oppressed is righteous and right and good. So it's not one of these things of like, however horribly you've been treated, you just have to put a good face on it and and hope the best for your enemies, even though they've been awful. Um, that's That's not where we are. God wants honesty from you. He is not threatened by or put off by the honest way that you feel about people who have mistreated you, who who have been uncool to you, and God wants justice for the oppressed. And then we look at the words of Jesus, and it's like, dude, I don't know how to get there. And the thing that I can tell you is I have had plenty of times where I have no way of telling you what the road to that feeling is. I can honestly tell you that for myself, the times where I've gotten to a place of having a charitable prayer for someone who's mistreated me um, have always, 100% always, come at the end of a road that started with honesty, that started by expressing the fact that I'm pissed off about this, I'm angry about it, I don't like it, I don't want it, I want them to meet. I want these horrible people to meet a horrible end. Um, and, and for me, times where I've honestly gotten to the place of being able to pray for my enemies, pray that they pray for their best or whatever that thing would look like, um, those things have always come at the end of a road that began with and that went straight through a place of being completely real and honest about the fact that I'm upset and I want justice and I want to be vindicated and I want to be proved right. And I want people that are talking about me to be shut up. All of those things. Anytime that I've gotten to a real honest place of being able to, to, to meet this ideal that Jesus talks about has come at the end of a road that I began in that honesty of that raw emotion. That's a fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, why don't we pursue that thread a little bit of, Loving your enemy, but also the idea of justice, which I think is a sure. lot of what David's talking about here, as Lee points out, that the people who are he wants to meet a grizzly end are and oftentimes trying to inflict a grizzly end on him, chasing him down. So how do those two things play out of loving your enemies, but also wanting things to be right? Well, let's look at Jesus. And of course, the the traditional Orthodox Christian belief, which all of us very much hold to, is that uh, Jesus was completely without sin, so he is an example of a life perfectly lived. And so we can see in Jesus that loving your enemies and wanting injustices, whether that's personal or societal, to be addressed very much coexist. Jesus loved everybody, but he still flipped the money changers' tables. Um, mm-hmm. He was clearly hoping they would fail in their business efforts. Like, it it would be a weird reading that he flipped their tables, but it's like, but I mean, if they want to change more money later, though, that's cool. I mean, like, it's not, who am I to stand in their way? I support small business owners. <laughs> I mean, he was looking at people who were, in a sense, trying to make a living and making it very clear, I am against this and I hope that they fail. He loved them perfectly because that's kind of Jesus's whole thing, but he was loving them even as he was opposing them and working to see their downfall, at mm-hmm. least in regards to their business venture. 
So yeah. we can see in Scripture that it's it's clearly very possible to have both of those. And um, we'll go from Jesus, who is an example of perfection, to me, who is an extremely imperfect example. But, dude, I can tell you in my own life, I am definitely able to say to to believe towards people in my life, I love you, but I hope you fail in this thing that you are doing. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you are doing something that is wrong. You are doing something that is unjust. Um, I hope that you do not get away with it. I hope that it does not work out. Um, I'm sure I don't do that perfectly because, you know, massively imperfect dude and whatnot. But like if I can if I can figure out how to have a certain amount of coexistence between I love you, but I really hope at least this particular thing you're doing falls completely on its face. Um, I'm sure God can get that. And again, from from Scripture, it's it's pretty clear that. Jesus gets it. And so just like Lee is saying, I think that there's a great deal of of comfort for us on an individual level to be able to say, dude, I, you know, I've got this person and I, I love you, but man, am I pissed at your behavior? Um, you, you're really allowed to have both of those. And I think that we need that because if we can't have both of those, then we're almost certainly condemning ourselves to a certain amount of dishonesty and inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a life where uh, we are called to to love other people, there's no question about that, but but a life where we're, you know, not able to look at an, an unjust, unkind, you know, dangerous thing that either a person is doing or an entity is doing, and, and um, you know, if, if our response to that has to be, oh, it's probably fine, that's not a healthy way to live, man. That's that's just not doable. And I think that's really one of the things that it it it's a a through line that goes through actually all three questions tonight, which is God is not looking for you to exist in a fantasy land. God is not looking for you to pretend like you don't live in the real world of the 21st century mess in which we all find ourselves. Um God gets that this is a jacked up world that is working as hard as it can to get worse. I didn't think that was possible, but it's trying really hard to get worse and we're stuck here. God gets that. And he is not looking for you to be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's not going on. God wants to offer you hope and comfort and strength for the real actual world in which you live, even in the midst of all of its ugliness and drama and problems. And so that's going to mean figuring out how do I find a way for love to coexist with a demand and an insistence on justice. Mm-hmm. You're you're not going to do that perfectly because you're not Jesus, but you can devote your life to figuring it out and you can love people and insist on justice as a part of it. And man, that's actually what it means to live the Christian life. I don't even remember now if Lee quoted this this episode or last episode, but going back to that great passage from Micah, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. That's what we're talking about. It's a lifetime journey, but it definitely involves both love and justice. We believe that's what God wants for you. Absolutely right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, please don't forget to check out our Bridgecast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. If you can't catch it live, it'll be archived on that very same Facebook page as soon as it is over. You can check out every previous episode over there. We're going to take out the song this week. You know, it's been a little while since we've heard from our friends in Southern Harmonic. 
This is their hey. take on the great old hymn, This Is My Father's World. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Introducing the Say That Metacast, where the wisdom is virtual and the emergencies are terrifying. <laughs> this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me. my father's world I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees of skies and seas is in the wonders rock this is my father's world the birds there Let the earth